Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground putting sustainability into action in their communities. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to SAS Talk with Kim. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren, and uh, we've been on a little bit of a hiatus lately, so sorry about that, uh, but things were really busy at KLA, so... Uh, but we are coming back in full force and really excited to start back with a good friend and former colleague, Mike Steinhoff, Program Director at ICLE, Local Governments for Sustainability. Hey, Mike, how are you? Doing good. Thanks, Kim, for having me. Of course. Um, so I'm sure most of our listeners know you, Mike. Uh, they will know probably that we are talking about our favorite subject, greenhouse gas inventories today. Uh, you know, of course, these are something that have become so common, such an important metric for local governments to track related to their climate action and sustainability work. Um, I always think about how interesting the evolution of greenhouse gas accounting has been, you know, from my heyday in the early 2000s in Medford, you know, when we were using old software and there weren't protocols. It was just kind of like, hey, do the best you can and collect energy data. And if you can get VMT, that's great. Um, you know, you have an airport and you don't want to include it. Oh, that's okay. It'd be good if you did. But, you know, everything was so wishy-washy because we were just excited people were even willing to talk about greenhouse gas emissions in 2001. Um, but now, you know, we're understanding the importance of this kind of work. And you've got Bloomberg and others who have stepped up helping um, or requiring almost, uh, I guess it's more fair to say like these new commitments requiring cities to be doing these inventories on a more regular basis. Um, so there's a lot of fun things to talk about today on greenhouse gas emissions and inventories and accounting, but let's just kind of start from the beginning, right? So this is something that a lot of local governments are doing. Um, it continues to get harder and harder. So most of them are having to go out to consulting firms. So this is time and money uh, to do these greenhouse gas inventories. So it can be frustrating um, getting started or keeping it going, but what is it that's so important? Why is it so critical to do this analysis? Yeah. Thanks, Kim. And, and you know, it is a good thing to, to pick up on a, to start this conversation of things are getting more complicated and more expensive to do. And that's really not the intent. I mean, I, I think a lot of what ICLE has always tried to do, and maybe we do this um, in sometimes better than, than others, but, you know, try to make this something that is really for local governments and driven by local governments. And, and that it shouldn't necessarily be, you know, external influences that are sort of defining what it is that you need to do. And you know, there is some of that, but um, you know, for, for me and for what, we try to do it ICLE, a lot of the importance of, of doing this work is not, again, some external thing. It should be really based on, well, why is it important to your community? What is it that your constituents have told you um, that they're focused on in terms of climate? And how else can you integrate this work with 
broader community goals. Um, I think if you start with that uh, sort of mindset in terms of what do we want to get out of this process, it's really going to help you answer, I think, a lot of critical questions that are going to come up time and time again as you go through uh, in terms of what level of rigor you need to apply to, to various things. You know, are you going for full completeness um, under a strict GPC inventory and you know maybe if you need to go for full completeness um that's one thing but but you can have some sense of well maybe we're not going to spend a whole lot of time trying to find some obscure number um we can you know there's ways to, even within the protocol for accounting for things that are missing or when you've had to use um release sort of low quality data um you know you can accept those things and move on uh, and i think being able to know where those points are and things that you can sort of maybe spend less time on are going to help you, uh, you know, in terms of how you focus that effort and, and make sure that the time and money that you do spend is really effective and it's not just for accounting for accounting's sake. So that's one part of it, but you know, it's also not about just calculating the emissions. Um, Doing the inventory, I've always thought of it as this opportunity for communities to know themselves better and understand better what are the things that are going on within their community that are uh, contributing to greenhouse gases. But you know, just to be able to know well, how much building space are we talking about in our city, uh, how many vehicle miles get traveled, you know, those are the kinds of information that GHGs aside you're going to want to know something about in terms of, you know, how do I articulate a new policy solution that's going to save people money on, you know, what they spend in, in energy every month or the amount of time that they're sitting in traffic. Um, so having those kinds of goals in mind as well as you get into the process, I think is, is just as important as, you know, calculating the emissions. You know, I think you're bringing up so many important points here because I do feel it's very easy for local governments, particularly those that are newer to taking action on climate, to think about this as, hey, this is your baseline assessment information. Like, just like in a planning process, you would do a baseline assessment looking at, you know, previous plans that were done, goals that have been set, you know, other type of data and information about the community this is part of that. It doesn't have to feel like it's this technical thing that you just, you have to do it because, you know, the, the compact of mayor says I have to do this. Um, you know, I don't know that everyone is having that opportunity to really think about what is this telling us about our community? So I think the way you're framing it is so important. Yeah. But, you know, there are some reasons why <clears throat> things like the global protocol are, are set the way that they're set um, and, and important things to keep in mind too. So if, one of your goals as a community is being part of a global movement of cities that are doing this work and ensuring that uh, those kinds of in, uh, initiatives and other campaigns can articulate what, you know, what our city's doing. Uh, they need data in a certain way, and that's really what the, the genesis of GPC was uh, in order to be able to aggregate what is all this activity that's happening you know, popping up on every corner of the earth, um, having a way to, to sort of normalize across everything and, and be able to tell that story. Um, so, you know, while, you know, there are pieces of it that can be a little bit challenging to, to deal with, you know, 
keeping keeping in mind that intent that that they're going for and why they set up those kinds of requirements are uh, you know an important thing to keep in mind as well, um, particularly if if that is a goal and you know, being part of that that global movement of cities. Mm-hmm. And you know, speaking from the municipal side, you know, of course, a lot of folks prior to doing these greenhouse gas emissions inventories maybe haven't been able to keep as good a track of the energy use in their buildings or how their fleet is being utilized. I mean, there's also a lot of efficiencies that can be gained. And of course, we always say, can't manage what you don't measure. And so, you know, I know, of course, over the years, many folks have found savings opportunities because they took the time to actually pay attention to energy use in different buildings to look through like, hey, why are we spending? I know in Medford, when I was there, we were actually paying utility bills on a building that had been closed and shut down for three years. I'm like, <laughs> who, what is this energy? And, and you know, it was like, oh, wow, like we saved $10,000, uh, got that money back from the utility because there was no reason we were being billed for that. So I know those things come up a lot, but also you hear about, hey, you know, we built relationships. We helped break down silos between departments, which is always a challenge. Um, because you're maybe all frustrated that you're trying to collect data, but <laughs> the idea that, hey, we're starting to have these conversations. And I think, as you said, if we're framing it in, what can we get out of this inventory that's a value, um, that's that opens up a conversation or a door way easier than, hey, I just need you to give me this data for this project. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought up government operations inventories as well and action plans and you know that sort of performance management side. Um, it, Feel like we always kind of forget about the government operations side, even though it's uh, you know, equally uh, what ICLE does and the protocols that we provide to to do it. Um, but you know, there's always so much talk about the community scale. But certainly, uh, if you're not doing it, you know, keeping your own house in order first, um, you know, it's a, a little bit of a stretch to be um, just focusing on on community. Um, because there is a lot of opportunity for, for local governments to save money within uh, this work. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, you know, you have the local government operations protocol that ICLE developed that still is the standard, um, you know, so it's, it's important to lead by example. But uh, so moving on to the community, um, you mentioned uh, the GPC, which uh, for those who aren't familiar uh, is the, Protocol for Community Scale Greenhouse Gas Emissions Inventories. It's essentially that global protocol looking at community side of emissions. Um, and we have the U.S., ICLE's U.S. Community Protocol, um, which you're working on the next iteration of. Um, and I'm understanding there's going to be maybe a new forestry component. What? Tell us a little bit about, you know, what's going on with that community protocol update, how folks may be impacted, what new features might be expected. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, I, I hope it's not just an iteration um, that there's sort of a new uh, Bible that's sort of set in stone and, and then we work from there. But, you know, really, there's so many things that are happening in the space that at least I hope that we're able to sort of move things to a point where uh, the protocol can continually be updated. And as new kinds of technology or, or you know, just different things that need to be accounted for are popping up that, that we have a mechanism to, to do that and, and have guidance there um, ahead of the time where, where people are going to start running into problems because there's no method for 
dealing with renewable natural gas that's pumped into pipelines is one that I'm thinking about now. Um, But in terms of what's sort of on the docket immediately, um, a lot of this did start with uh, a particular interest um, from um, some practitioners and and a funder to say, yes, forestry has not been well represented in this space and, and it needs to be. Uh, particularly recognizing what you know negative emission strategies uh, are necessary at the global level that you know all right cities should be talking about this cities should be thinking about uh, how forestry and land use um, are are uh, part of the toolkit that they have to uh, protect the climate so um, that's really where where it started from and um, you know, this is also kind of a big leap. I mean, I remember when we did the original U.S. protocol, there was definitely some debate about how much uh, a FOLU or agriculture, forestry, land use was going to be incorporated. And we took a pass on it for a lot of reasons. One, it's much harder to measure this stuff. It's not like a a meter that's running that's counting up all the... uh, carbon that's going into the into the forest so it takes like real on the ground measurement uh, in a lot of cases to to get good numbers um, so it's, it's harder to do that way um, rightly or wrongly there was i think an impression well all that stuff happens outside of cities and of course you know Ickley, our uh, mandate and our constituents is obviously much bigger than cities there's towns there's rural areas there's counties and much bigger geographies that certainly do include lots of agricultural land lots of forested land um so that was a little bit of an oversight but you know, maybe a maybe a cop out that we said well we're just focused on cities <laughs> um but then it's also going to be there's going to be some very new stuff uh in there that we you know no one's really at least in the city world have had to think about or you know have a place to account for so instead of the way that we do now with vehicle emissions and energy emissions where it's all about all right how much came out in this year in this inventory year um you know your baseline is going to start with well what is the current carbon stock and this concept of carbon pools where there's you know an amount of carbon that's stuck in the above ground below ground biomass currently and you keep track of that number and then as inventories progress okay how much got released since the last time we we looked at what that stock was how much got added from new trees or growing trees Um, and so that's kind of a a new a new type of accounting and a new set of numbers that people haven't had to to quite deal with before so um, that's going to be a little bit different um, and then it's also going to force, I think, a couple new questions or maybe different treatments of things that, that you know, we've previously not um, uh, also been able to, to sort of push to the side. So if we're talking about carbon pools and sequestration of carbon wherever it is, then um, you know, we need a, a consistent treatment for, well, what do we do about landfill sequestration? That's some amount of that carbon is going to sit there and be sequestered. And should we be accounting for that in the same way that we account for trees? Um, if we're pulling 
carbon and holding it in biologic stocks? Is it consistent to give biogenic emission of uh, biofuels and other places where we burn those uh, same things a pass like we currently do. Um, you know, I think those are a little bit more introspective questions that we're going to have to wrestle with. But I think, um, you know, people who are sort of thinking progressively about, well, what does this mean? And what is my community's contribution to climate? I think are, are um, you know, going to be the ones that, that sort of wrestle with them and, um, you know, ultimately have to make decisions around it. So clearly there's a lot going on. And so has this update started yet? Is I know you were pulling the team together. Uh, the methods development has started. So um, you know, this is sort of uh, at least beginning with um, uh, more of a technical exercise in terms of people who are very familiar with sort of existing data um, around, um, you know, what kinds of information is available for the Forest Service, for example, and how can you apply that to, you know, your local, um, your local forest, that sort of thing. So um, led by World Resources Institute, and they've pulled in a, a few other uh, experts to sort of do that first cut of developing Here's the here's the nuts and bolts of how you do the accounting and where do you get the data and what are the formulas. Um, but we will then be bringing that out to um, you know, obviously public comment period and, and getting other folks to sort of weigh in in terms of well what does this mean for for us as a community and how do we apply these numbers and I think that's a little bit more of you know where you know obviously we want to have that component represented in the protocol as well. So it's not just a, you know, again, a technical number crunching exercise. You'll also have, um, I guess, maybe tips or process guidance on like for, for cities and towns, counties that have already been doing inventories, like, cause we always get to that issue, right? Every time we update the protocols, like how do we compare to our old inventories? So what do you see that being a, a factor? Like obviously emission numbers are going to change drastically if we now have for some of our communities that have a lot of natural resource areas, is it going to look like an immediate reduction uh, when maybe no actual, you know, climate mitigation actions were taking, but it's just now looking at sequestration? Um, well, I mean, one thing it, just in terms of we're following good protocol practice that, you know, those things won't get netted against each other, that, you know, all of the positive emissions that are occurring now and that have been accounted for in the past will still be there and still be visible. Um, yes, now there may be this new, uh, I'm not going to say slice of the pie because pie chart is a bad way to do it, but uh, maybe a, a negative column on a column chart that's, you know, here's all of the standing carbon in our, in our natural resources. Um, <clears throat> you know, that may add up to be a lot in terms of what's standing. What's the change year to year is probably, um, you know, much more on the, on the level of, uh, you know, something that happens in, a, in an inventory. Um, the point being, I, I don't think it's going to radically change all of the past work. 
In other words, the message to folks out there is don't think you're going to be able to take this as a reduction. (laughs) (laughs) You know some folks are going to be chomping at the bit for that one. Well, but there are reduction opportunities as well, you know, protecting those forests that exist and making sure that they're continuing to sequester carbon. I mean, that's, that's where the reduction potential is. Um, it shouldn't be that like, oh, all of a sudden, because we have forests, we suddenly get a pass right. uh, on, on all the rest of it. It really would be comparing them separately, the positive emissions and the negative emissions. And it sounds like that's the appropriate approach. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Great. Uh, so a lot to look forward to there. So what is the timing on that? When do we think you'll have a draft for comment? Um, late spring, early summer. Okay. That's exciting. Everyone keep their uh, eyes peeled for that. <laughs> You're listening to SAS Talk with Kim, a podcast for local government staff and elected officials working to advance smart, sustainable solutions in their communities. Today, we're talking with Mike Steinhoff of ICLEI Local Governments for Sustainability about municipal and community greenhouse gas inventories and how they're critical tools for cities and counties with climate action goals. Um, so, of course, Mike, as you mentioned, this isn't your first protocol. Um, do, you, do you want to talk about maybe how protocols have evolved over the years? I mean, I know you, you mentioned kind of why we hadn't previously looked at agriculture, forestry, land use. Um, but just thinking about the, the changes overall and the various status of the protocols. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think one thing that's worth keeping in mind is that cities are this sort of weird unit of analysis um, or, or, you know, have, have kind of, they're a little bit stuck in the middle of, I think, a lot of work that, goes on in, in other places, right? So you've got the global framework and the IPCC inventory guidance for national scale inventories. And that sort of set the, the standard for, um, you know, I think a lot of the, even the early work, right? Because that, that stuff did exist in the 90s and, and early aughts, but, you know, it was not really, a lot of it didn't really speak to the scale of data that local communities are, are able to get. Um, you know, cities are obviously not like nations in a lot of ways with weird boundary issues and those sorts of things. So, so you know, a lot of it kind of started with that and like, okay, here's a method that we can use to do the calculations. And since then, it's been sort of iterating in terms of, um, well, how do we refine these methods and approaches to something that that makes more sense for cities and that's you know a lot of what the u.s community protocol when we were develop, developing that came out of is okay some of this stuff is still going to be this sort of top-down approach because uh, it's the only way to do it but you know in some other areas like um you know transportation or or something where you you can get more precise local data okay how do you do a bottom-up calculation for XYZ that's um, going to be more accurate and, and more actionable ultimately. So it's been the sort of hybrid mashup approach of you know, all of these different protocols. And um, I think that um, you know, ultimately we're in a, I think a pretty good place with 
with where the the guidance is for for cities now and people sort of recognizing cities as a um as a frame for for doing this work um but i think they're also going to have to continue to to keep evolving because there's i mean i can at least see some limitations in terms of the way that we we think about cities today and how we sort of draw boundaries around cities as the way we do this accounting for issues that really are sort of regional in nature um and you know you can you can miss some really important um conclusions if you know if everybody city by city is just doing this in a silo mm-hmm. you're going to miss those opportunities for what cities can do when they act together as a region and uh, plan themselves better and are you finding that um either through the ICLE network or USDN or others, are you seeing that regions are kind of coming together and looking kind of broadly at their collective inventories and thinking about those strategies? Uh, I think there definitely are. I mean, I, I see some bright spots. There's definitely Boston Metro, Chicago Metro. I think there's a couple others where, you know, the, the mayors of those cities have gotten together and sort of made many compacts or many covenants and mm-hmm. um, you know so they're they're at least having those conversations and they're kind of I think bubbling up organically which is great um, I think that we we don't really have sort of a systematic way of, of engaging with those kinds of initiatives and and supporting them in the way that we do sort of city by city so I think that's something that that we need to work on um, and and engage with those initiatives as they do uh, get created. So, you know, for some of our listeners that might be new to this, um, you know, of course, there's, uh, it can be really tedious to do a greenhouse gas inventory. And, and as you kind of detailed, some of these protocols uh, are changing and in many respects, it's for the better, right? I do remember my Ickley days working with communities before we had protocols and having them just say, please just tell me exactly what to do. I don't want to guess. <laughs> I don't want you to tell me, well, you can, or you don't have to, you know, they really wanted that structured, very specific guidance. So they could have something to point to if their city council or community member was saying, well, you know, who said this is the right way, right? So there's, there's value to it, but you know, there's also a lot of challenges um, tracking down the data. A lot of times, particularly on the community side, uh, if you don't have uh, a local government-owned utility, you know now you're reaching out to natural gas, electricity utilities. Uh, it can be really frustrating waiting um, to get information if you ever get it at all. So I know ICLE, of course, has two tools to work with local governments on greenhouse gas um, accounting and analysis, ClearPath, and your GHG contribution analysis toolkit. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those two tools? Yeah. Um, so let's see where to start. Um, I guess we'll start with ClearPath since it's, it's a little bit, uh, well, it's been around a little bit longer. Um, and it is really sort of our flagship offering. Um, I think I heard you mention CACP in the beginning, Kim, of, you know, going way back to old school. <laughs> it practically was an MS-DOS program. <laughs> it practically was. Um, and, you know, that thing got a lot of use. I think uh, quite a number of cities wrestled with it and a lot of inventories got, got calculated with it, but. And then lost. 
and then lost. Yeah. Cause it's prior to the cloud, prior, prior to the cloud. So that was one thing that, um, you know, when I started at Ickley and for the first few years, that was, that was still the way that everybody was doing their inventories. Um, as you know, that thing was really sort of getting to the end of its life. We're like, okay, we, we have to bring in this online and, uh, and in doing so opened up a whole range of new possibilities for what you can do with an inventory management uh, suite of tools and not just a, basically a carbon calculator. So that was what um, was the, the sort of genesis of, of ClearPath. Um, notice we also got away from uh, acronyms as naming the tools. Um, so ClearPath is an online tool. It does government operations, as well as community side, inventories, business as usual forecasting, scenario planning, and long-term monitoring. So it's, it's really that whole Ickley five milestone process uh, bundled up into one, one tool that, that can go through all of those pieces and, and keep all the data in one place. Um, you know, we can have lots of people logging into it so it's not stuck on one person's desktop. Um, if, you know, as you go inventory to inventory, maybe it's three, five more years apart, fine. All your data is safe and secure and redundantly backed up on the cloud. So it's going to be there. You don't have to worry about, you know, the interim's computer blowing up or anything. Um, so it's, it's, it's really that data management software that, um, is, is sort of how we designed it. And, you know, there's lots of features there for thinking about, well, I need to, you know, talking about that change of well, what happens when, oh, all of a sudden there's forestry and how does this compare to all my, my previous inventories? I mean, those are the kinds of workflows that we've anticipated and, and built in features to, to manage those. So that's ClearPath in a nutshell. Um, and then the, the contribution analysis toolkit. So this was a, a new uh, resource that we, Put out back in uh, July of 2018, so it's, it's still pretty fresh. Um, and this was funded by the Department of Energy's Cities Leading Through Energy Analysis and Planning Program, Cities Leap. Um, so they funded a bunch of other uh, projects and programs in, in various places. Um, you know, in putting together our proposal to get this grant, we had, you know, it was broad ask for projects that help cities make better decisions with data. And we came up with a million different ideas that we were just kind of throwing against the wall of like data problems. Um, and one that sort of resonated because we needed to get cities to participate. And, you know, we asked a bunch of folks that we were close to what really is interesting to you. And lots of them were saying, okay, well, we've done two inventories, three inventories, and we get different results every time and we can't really interpret, like, well, what does this mean? How, how can we show better what progress we're doing or, or know what progress we're doing? Um, so that was the idea. And, you know, it, it, contribution analysis is a, is a term of art that exists in other places um, and one that we kind of honed in on as uh, one that made sense for this uh, application where, there's so much going on, so many factors that are influencing the end result that we see in a city um, that the approach to knowing 
are we having the right impact or are we headed in the right direction is can we explain away and figure out what is the contribution of all of these external factors that that we know drive changes in emissions so okay the grid carbon intensity is changing um, fuel economy is changing there's a lot more people here than there used to be or less um, this was a really hot summer or really warm winter or, or the reverse you know something strange about weather um, so if we can set up a, a framework where you can account for all of those other things and sort of explain how much impact that they have, then what you get left with is a, a better sense of how much progress you're making. Um, and then some of the things that we didn't necessarily anticipate find, you know, being as valuable as you know, they have proven to be, I think with people that have used it is you know, really understanding, well, how sensitive are we to weather? Um, maybe that's a, a, the kind of information that you can use to say, well, maybe we should focus more on, uh, you know, dealing with, um, you know, new air conditioning load and how do we manage that more efficient, efficiently if summers are going to keep getting hotter and hotter. Um, so there's a lot of, I think, new sort of nuance um, information that you can start to pull out of that data when you do the analysis. Um, the downside of it, of course, is it means you do have to collect some more data uh, in order to get it, get it to work. So there's some challenges there. Um, but uh, I think it, it's ultimately ones that pay off. And you know, back to the uh, protocol update, you know, those are some of the some of the things we're also baking into that are just some. Oh, by the way, as you're doing your baseline go ahead and collect XYZ data so that when you come to the point of doing a contribution analysis that you've got that kind of information, those, those other sort of pieces of context um, for that, you know, what was going on in the inventory year uh, that you'll need to be able to, to say, okay, that changed and this is why the numbers are different. So, I mean, I know Ickley, of course, and you are, are good at kind of creating easy to use and understand interfaces, but what would you say, sure. I mean, there's a lot of factors, a lot of variables that go into these uh, analyses and of course, of course, all these externalities. It's what, what would you say is kind of the level of knowledge that a person should have to really get the most out of this tool? Is it a little bit more on the advanced side or do you think someone can come into this pretty fresh and, and really be able to run with it? Um, I mean, I would say a little bit on the advanced side. I mean, you would have certainly have to have been um, know your inventory data pretty well, um, <clears throat> how it was collected, um, the extent to which things were estimated uh, and and not actually sort of locally measured. Um, you know, that's that's one of the things that is. <clears throat> Certainly a big challenge, um, right? We know that that in a lot of places in the inventory work, okay, we use a downscale number from the state or whatever, yeah. whatever it was. You know, knowing that what that number was and whether or not it is actually uh, going to be responsive in the way that you came up with it in the inventory, is it actually responsive to? local changes or, you know, is it as the state goes, our number goes, um, you know, so those are the kinds of things that you're going to have to be able to watch out for, um, in order to, to 
A, know whether something is worth trying to analyze to begin with um, or to, to be able to interpret the results. The members only tools. No, contribution analysis. Thank you, federal government, for funding <laughs> that one. It is completely freely available to anyone. Um, Fantastic. You should be able to find it pretty easily on ICLEUSA.org. Um, so, yeah, grab it. Um, if you do grab it and use it, uh, of course, we'd love to, to know what you do with it. Um, that's one nice thing about ClearPath on the cloud. I can see everybody that's using it and everything that, do, that they're doing. But this is it's an Excel tool. Um, and so like CACP or Kappa in the past, it's out there in the wild and you never, we never hear anything back. So if you've got good stories to tell about what you're doing with <laughs> analysis, uh, let us know. Awesome. Uh, well, my team will certainly be happy to work with you guys on some stories. Um, so we've heard a lot about GHG accounting and the protocols. Um, and of course, Mike, you're like right in the thick of it on the climate action side and also technology side um, from where you stand at kind of the intersection of those two. Why don't you kind of wrap us up here with kind of what are some of the future trends? What, what should we be expecting coming down the pike here? Yeah. Um, well, everything. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like there's so much, there's so much stuff that's going on um, as much as we bemoan the, uh current challenges with data data quality comparability over time um i have still a lot of optimism about what technology could bring us um you know there's all this new data that is coming out of mobile phones and maybe some of that is going to give us more insight into actual transportation instead of model transportation um, you know, all this sort of smart city sensor networks and things that are going up. Um, you know, I remember, uh, just the other day walking past, uh, uh, in downtown Boston, a uh, pedestrian and cyclist counter thing that was telling you, you know, how many people bike past this point. Um, those kinds of technologies are, uh, I think really rapidly coming together, um, and are, able to tell us lots of things. Um, I think that the challenge for, for us and the challenge for, for Italy is to sort of keep up with that and say, okay, um, you know, to the point earlier about you want something to be able to say, this is, this is the endorsement of here's how you take that number and do something, um, do an analysis with it that everybody has agreed upon and that everybody knows how to interpret. Um, you know, that's going to be a little bit of a, I think, a challenge for, for us to, to keep up with those things. But um, maybe if we can uh, generate enough interest in that, then we can find the support to, uh, uh, to make it happen. Um, but I think it's all good stuff, too. I mean, the other sort of the downside of protocols is that it can sort of snuff out uh, people's ability to experiment and figure things out. And I think that's, that's one thing that uh, we don't want to lose sight of and, and, you know, get cast aside and uh, all of the accounting is um, letting people be creative and letting some of these solutions bubble up um, uh, from, from communities and from people who are interested in, in figuring things out.
because um, mm-hmm. more of that is needed for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so much is about, and ICLE facilitates a lot of this too, is just learning, you know, the resources that a Boston or a San Francisco are going to have are going to be far greater than, you know, Concord, Massachusetts or Encinitas, California, right? So being able to learn like, okay, here's how the big cities did it. Here's how it could be applicable to a smaller community, not for them to just think, oh, well, we can't do those things, those big smart city projects. And I know we're already seeing it particularly with like street lights and this, the connectedness. Um, but I think it's important for a lot of smaller communities, which of course we both know is most of the U.S.'s local governments, um, to understand that this is something they can and should be figuring out how to participate in in a way that makes sense for them. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Mike, it's always fun to catch up with you. I really appreciate your time today. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts for our audience? Uh, I didn't prepare any closing thoughts. <laughs> you didn't have to. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if, if there's somebody, let's say there's somebody listening that is new to developing inventories and wants to get started, what would, what would kind of be the three things you would tell them to do first? Uh, understand what uh, transportation models are used in your community and <laughs> their pitfalls. Um, let's see, what else? I mean, read the protocols. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's not a, you know, it's not a, a fun one. If you have trouble sleeping, maybe. <laughs> Well, and I think for a lot of folks to get confused, we're not saying don't go and read the protocol cover to cover. Read the key pieces that are applicable to you. And remember, this is going, this is the kind of document that, you know, you keep on your desk and you keep referring to like, okay, wastewater treatment. Let me go to that chapter and see what I need to do. It's not like they have to bite it off in such a huge chunk. You know, I think if they take it in little, little snippets, it feels a lot more um, digestible, a lot less intimidating. Yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Uh, looking forward to seeing you again soon. And that's that. That's a wrap. All right. Take care, all. Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sastalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?